I hosted a live fireside chat via Zoom last month. People sent me questions ahead of time, and then I shared my answers with the attendees on the call. And then we followed up with some more detailed discussions later. But some of the questions included, what can I do to stand out amongst hundreds of other applicants? Another person, should I change my resume? And what are some strategies to network more effectively with professionals at my level or higher? And what are some ways to maintain those relationships long term? I'm Larry Cornette, and this is Invincible Career. So I'm just going to go through some of the questions that I received. Uh, Some of them came through the intake form, which you saw. Some of them people sent to me privately and and stuff like that, and that's fine too. Um, I always want people to feel like they can ask any question and not worry about it being tied to their identity. Because I know with career coaching, one of the things that I've learned, and I've been doing this for a little over six years now, is that people want help and they have questions and concerns about their boss or about their company, their colleagues. They don't necessarily want the world knowing that. Uh, and so it's it's an interesting issue of trying to understand what people need and the questions they have without seeing that stuff publicly on social media and LinkedIn and so forth, because people really don't want that out there. And so I offer these opportunities to ask a question anonymously and not not have it tied to your identity. I'm not going to have any identifying information, like who asked the question. Uh, If there was any information that kind of gave a clue, I'm going to strip that out. If there's anything about a company, I take that out. And I'll I'll say a whole lot of company ABC and things like that. So I'm very careful about that. I've been doing this for a while. I don't want anybody to feel like their information's been outed and their boss is like, you're unhappy. <laughs> you're, not, you're not happy with your job anymore. I don't want anybody to know that. So a really good question that came up and I get asked this a lot and I talk about this a lot was what can I do to stand out amongst hundreds of other applicants? That's <laughs> the million dollar question. And it's a huge question. It's uh, been coming up a lot lately. Uh, if you haven't been tracking the the numbers, in tech alone, the tech industry alone, 300,000 people have been laid off in the last year. That's a whole lot of competition in the job market. <laughs> so anybody who's been thinking about switching jobs or is looking for a job, they and especially in tech, you now have 300,000 people competing for jobs too. Uh, and that's just tech. So we know that there have been several million people in the U.S. alone who've left their job or lost their job and are now looking to get reemployed and looking for a job. So it's a huge problem. And it's one that I talk about because if, unless you have a dream resume, like you are just a dream person on paper, right? You went to some Ivy League school and you worked at some top company and you were just, everything on paper is just the dream candidate. It is hard to stand out. And even if you were the dream candidate, if your resume is in a stack of a thousand resumes, still hard to stand out. Uh, and that is the case definitely with some of the larger companies. Google gets thousands and thousands of resumes every day, probably more than that. It's insane. So that's why I always encourage people. There's a few things. One is I talk about becoming an opportunity magnet. And that's a phrase that I use a lot because it changes everything. It changes everything. When you are an opportunity magnet, instead of you looking for jobs and hunting and searching and all that and applying and all that stuff that you're doing, People come looking for you. So when people know who you are and what you do and that you're great at what you do, 
you become an, a magnet for new opportunities. And this does happen. Uh, I've had it happen in my career. I've had it happen with people that I know and people that I've coached where they said, I'm getting inbound calls every day, multiple calls from recruiters and hiring managers and stuff like that. And so to do that, you have to be highly visible. I mean, it's hard to attract an opportunity and to stand out if no one knows you exist. And it's really, I talk a lot about treating your career like a business and what do businesses do? They market their products. They advertise. You know, they they really want to let you know that they're, you're an option, that they're an option for you. So you have to be highly visible. And that can be on social media. It can be on LinkedIn. It can be in person at events and things like that. And with the right people. So it's not enough to kind of be active on Facebook and doing things with your friends if they're not the people who are going to be making decisions to hire you or to work with you. And so you want to make sure you're being highly visible with the right people in the right place. And if you're trying to get a, attention to get hired, Twitter, LinkedIn are good places to be visible. I talk about intelligent networking, which is not the usual schmoozing at cocktail parties, but it's connecting with people more deeply. And it's connecting with people in a meaningful way and building relationships. And the whole goal of all of this is to find what I call the inside champion. So if you have an inside champion, which is somebody within a company that loves what you do, they know you, they love the work you do, they know that you're a high quality person, they're going to do everything they can to get you through the front door and to put your resume in the right hand of the, the right hiring manager. So if you have this this inside champion, that can be coming from a company that you don't even know about. They're just a big fan of yours. Or you can deliberately target a company and say, I have people in this company that if I can somehow get past all those screeners and all those things that are making my resume end up in a different bucket, I'll have a shot. And that happens all the time. It used to happen when I was a leader. People would actually hand me a resume and say, hey, would you take a look at my friend's resume? I think they'd be a good fit for this role. You know, it happened for me. I had people put my resume in someone's hand and it makes such a difference. If I look back on my 20 year career, not a single one of my jobs came through a traditional process in 20 years. Not one. Everything came through my network, not my resume, not a job application. My job at IBM, it happened because of my advisor. He knew somebody that worked at IBM that was an ex-student of his. My job at Apple happened because another graduate student did an internship and connected me with the hiring manager. My job at eBay, the guy who hired me, went to school with me. <laughs> I, so it's pretty easy for me to have an inside champion there. Yahoo, the person who hired me, used to be my boss's boss at Apple. Every single opportunity was through my network. And in some cases, they reached out to me. I wasn't looking for a job. They reached out to me and said, hey, would you at least give us consideration? So that is one of the, the biggest things you can do to stand out is network. The best thing to do to stand out is not be in the pile of people that are all trying to stand out. Having your resume in that pile is not going to help you stand out. There's nothing you can say on a resume that someone hasn't tried. People have done skywriting to get jobs. People have rented billboards to get jobs. People have showed up with flowers at the office in a tuxedo to get a job. I mean, people do crazy stuff. So there's nothing you can really do. The best thing you can do is network and connect with people. Uh, and anybody who's worked with me knows I'm a huge fan of that. So the next question that came in was very specific about someone sent me their resume. So they said, here's my resume. <laughs> Take a quick look. Uh, does it need modified? So 
I'm going to be much more general with this advice because I don't want you to have to listen to me modify a specific person's resume. But the thing that I saw in the resume is something that often happens with people writing resumes. One is it is way too verbose. And so people will write resumes using full sentence structures and you know grammar and all that stuff. That's not what resumes are. Resumes use something I call telegraphic speech, which is get rid of all the extraneous fluff, all the words that don't matter. It doesn't have to be grammatically correct. I mean, you have to spell check and make sure that that's all right. But it's very brief and to the point, just like uh, uh, in the old telegraphs in the old days, right? They didn't put a whole bunch of extra words in there because they were going dot, 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 dot. And so the, the telegraphic speech is super important, which means get it down to shorter scannable information, fewer bullets, because it's most likely being put through a scanner. It's most likely being scanned for keywords and information and then being able to be harvested so that the people who are looking at this information have an easier way to do that. I also talk about you've got to tune your resume for each job application, for each opportunity. There is no perfect one resume. There's no way. The only thing that kind of behaves like that is your LinkedIn. So you don't want to be constantly tuning your LinkedIn for every job opportunity, especially if you're doing what I always recommend is interviewing for multiple jobs at the same time. So if you're talking with three different companies in three different roles, you don't want to keep shifting your LinkedIn for each one because you don't know when people are looking at it. So your LinkedIn is kind of a composite of your entire history. Uh, it still should be very focused and to the point, but resumes are different. Your resume is going to be directly tuned to the opportunity and you should be using language that speaks to what they're looking for. You know, if they are talking a lot about innovation and creativity and innovation and creativity, and you'll see this language in a job description, then it's probably not good for you to focus on your operational strengths, right? Or whatever. And that can be a strength of yours and maybe something you're good at. But if they are constantly saying, we're looking for a really innovative person, we need somebody who's really creative, your resume better speak to that. Otherwise, they're going to look at it and say, oh, they seem like they're more operational than creative. They're not innovative. They're not cutting edge. They're an optimizer, right? And so you got to look at that mirror language, which is read what they're asking for, what they're looking for. Use language in your resume that sounds like you're the solution to their problem. Everybody who's hiring has a problem. Everybody that has employees has a problem. There's something that those employees solve. And so if you think about it from that perspective, what problem are they trying to solve? Why are they hiring? What's going on in the market? What's going on with the competition? How do you use language in your resume that speaks to that? So they look at that and say, this person is my answer. This person is the solution to all the problems I've been facing with my team. Um, the other thing is to really think about front-loading the information. And that is both in terms of the bullets that you put under each job that you've had so that the most impactful, most important thing is at the top. It's also in the bullet itself. Human beings, I don't want to say they're lazy, they're efficient. Let's say they're efficient. There's been research that looks at scanning of search pages, which is what I used to do when I was at Yahoo. Same thing applies to resumes and written documents. People scan and give most of their attention to the top left, and they kind of look across, and they very quickly fatigue, and they start scanning for keywords. And you can see this literally with eye tracking research, that they're jumping between specific words that map to their mind of what they're looking for. Oh, creative, innovation, oh, conversion rates, oh, whatever. So they're scanning very quickly. 
So you want to make sure the most impactful stuff is up and to the left so that they see it first. Because what's unfortunate is if they're reading the resume and they read that first job description or whatever you did, right? And it sounds ho-hum or not a match, they may not even get to the bottom. They might be, oh, that's not a fit. They're being very efficient and they're going to put it in a stack of no, not a fit. Also, making sure that you're speaking about what you did, not just like a job description, right? I see this all the time where people describe the tasks of their job. Like I designed e-commerce flows. I wrote specifications. Well, so did everybody. (laughs) Every single person who is in that role, that type of role, that profession does that. And so by stating the obvious, you're never going to stand out. You're never going to get noticed. And so you always should be thinking about, well, what are the wins that I've had? What are the quantitative wins as, as much as possible? What are my accomplishments? What did I do? Not so much the task or the activity, but what was the outcome? And so the right kind of language is, you know, I designed something that drove a 20% increase in conversion. You know, my marketing materials contributed to a $30 million campaign. And so you want to use numbers, you want to use revenue numbers so that they're seeing the impact you've had with your job. How did you make your employer's life better? And what was the outcome for what you did? Sometimes you have that information, sometimes you don't. And I talked with someone who said, I've worked on all these projects. I know they were really successful. I don't remember the metrics. And I said, you know who probably does because they care. And I bet it's on their resume. <laughs> Your product manager, the person that you worked with on that project. And they said, really? And I said, yeah, why don't you reach out and just say, hey, remember that project we worked on? It was like five years ago. Do you still have that data? You know, do you talk about that in your wins? And they did. And they did. And they said, yep, here are the revenue numbers. Here's the increase in conversion. Here's all that stuff. It's in my resume. You should put it in your resume too. And they're like, but I was just the designer. And I get so tired of people not taking credit for their work. So this is another thing. Some people are very aggressive, and rightfully so, with their contributions. When they drove value for a product or a business or whatever, they will say, I did this, which led to this revenue. I wasn't the only person. I'm on a team, obviously. But that was the outcome. And I was a part of that. And I tell everybody who either they've done the design or they've done the research or they've done the marketing or the sales or whatever, claim those numbers too. Be clear about what you did. Be clear that it was a team. You're not an army of one, but you claim it too. And so if you can get that information, that's fantastic. And if not, you can be qualitative. You know, sometimes you can say we had a dramatic increase in conversion. You know, our customer retention improved incredibly that quarter whatever you can find some way to talk about it but now you're talking about outcomes not about i did xyz and then i did abc you don't want to talk about it that way um next question so that's enough about resumes what are some strategies to network more effectively with professionals at my level or higher and what are some ways to maintain those relationships long term So this really gets to the heart of what I was talking about earlier, which is about the networking, which I think is so important. The thing that's that's tricky with networking is it's tempting. and I've seen people (laughs) do this because they've asked me for it to go straight to the top. And so I had some folks that because of my network, I've been lucky. You know, when you're in the industry this long and I've been doing this stuff overall, like 30 years, 
a lot of the kids that I grew up with in the industry are now CEOs, they're vice presidents, they're investors. And so people will see that connection. They'll say, can you introduce me to the CEO of LinkedIn? <laughs> it's like, I could, but I'm not. I'm not going to do that because I don't know who you are. And the thing that is kind of the true of your network is it's your most valuable asset. And you don't just squander that. You don't know this person. And you're not going to introduce somebody that you don't know, some random stranger, to one of the most valuable people in your network, the CEO of a, of a major company. It's not going to happen. So what people need to understand, and this is true in every profession, every industry, every kind of networking, it's true for the entertainment industry. It's like you work the ladder. It's too hard to connect meaningfully with people that are way ahead in their careers, right? Because they're trying to connect. So the CEOs are trying to connect with other CEOs and board members. And they're even thinking about, should I become governor of the state? Which actually happens, Meg Whitman. Um, so they're connecting laterally and higher. The last thing they're going to do is spend a ton of their energy and networking capital connecting with someone way down the ladder. It's not going to happen. Um, there are rare cases where people do mentor, but that's very few, right? If you think about it, CEOs, people are thousands of people are trying to connect with them. Can they mentor thousands of people? No. You know, they're going to mentor a handful, and maybe you can build a relationship with somebody who wants to mentor you. But much more effective is to think about who are the people that are a little bit above me aspirationally, right? They have more years in their career. They seem to have greater success. They're operating at a level slightly above mine. You know, I see them active online. I see them on the conference circuit. I see them all the time. Reaching out and connecting with those people. So you want to identify these people. And I tell people, create a spreadsheet. I mean, this should be something that you are strategically doing, just like you would do to run a business. This isn't something you shoot from the hip with. If you want to have a great career and one that you love, it, it takes some work and planning. It takes some strategy. And so identify people that you want to connect with that are notable in your industry, notable in your profession, and follow them. Follow them on LinkedIn, follow them on Twitter, see what they're doing. Pay attention to how they're engaging. Where are they networking? How are they interacting? Where are they most active? How can you become part of that conversation? So it's kind of useless to want to connect with somebody and then go to Twitter and they don't spend any time there. So you're not going to connect with that person on Twitter if they don't engage on Twitter, right? So you got to figure out where they are and how to become part of that conversation. And part of that, as some of the folks on this call have seen, when you engage meaningfully and intelligently in people's posts and conversations online, you stand out. It's not going to happen the very first time. It's going to happen with consistency. So if you book some time on your calendar and say, you know, at least once a week, I'm going to spend 30 minutes. I'm going to go on LinkedIn and I'm going to go see what these people have posted, I'm going to engage. I'm going to read it. I'm actually going to click and read the article they shared or what they wrote. And I'm going to say something intelligent. Like, I really like the point you made with this. And I tell people this story, like there is an author that I admire who, believe it or not, is also, she's on LinkedIn. She's very active <laughs> on social media. And I loved her book, read her book. And I reached out and I said something in the connection request. And I said, this part of your book where you talked about XYZ really resonated with me because that was my experience with whatever. And so I put something real. I put something meaningful and I thanked her. I said, thank you for writing this. I don't feel so alone now. She accepted my connection request. And she actually responds to stuff I comment and post now. 
which for me is a huge fanboy moment. It's like, wow, this is incredible. Wouldn't have happened if I just dumped a connection request with nothing, right? Wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been commenting intelligently and liking stuff that she shares. So that is a key way to build a relationship. And then it's incredibly important to try to find a way to offer value if you expect to receive value. So there is this reciprocity that people expect. And Adam Grant has an excellent TED talk on this if you haven't seen it. And it's all about givers and takers. And it talks about givers and takers and people who try to maximize and who gets ahead in the professional world. And what does it mean to be a giver and a taker? And so it's important to think about how could I offer something of value to this person? And it can be something as simple as you touch my life, right? I can tell you as a writer, I write a lot and it often feels like you're just putting stuff into the void, right? And I see numbers that show me people are reading <laughs> and viewing, but people are shy and people don't engage. And so you're like, is this resonating? Is it helping anyone? Do people care? And so as an author, for example, to hear that you touched someone's life and that it mattered, that means a lot to you. And so you have to think about this person. What is it that they're seeking? What do they need? Um, is there something that you can offer them that they could learn that maybe they didn't know? You know, is there some way you can help them? And being helpful online is through engagement and resharing. Everybody's trying to grow their audience. Everybody's trying to get more reach. The platforms punish us like crazy. They want us to spend money. And so even some of the larger, unless they're mega accounts that have millions and millions of followers, the fact that you comment, like, and reshare the material and say something intelligent when you do so is noticed. And it means a lot. I go out of my way to thank everyone who shares my stuff. And I've, there may be a time when I, there's too much of it for me to do that, but I try every single time to thank someone because it means a lot for them to reshare my stuff on Twitter or LinkedIn means a lot to me and I appreciate it. And so I try to thank every single person every single time. And so when you do this stuff, this social reciprocity kicks in and that's how relationships are built. You're not just trying to use somebody. You're helping them. They're going to help you. You're going to build a relationship. And people have done that. They've built friendships through these engagements. Some of the people that I've developed friendships with and have strong friendships with in the last six, seven years are people I met through platforms that we just started having an intelligent dialogue about stuff. So. The other thing I was going to say is don't underestimate the power of meeting people in person. <laughs> so we're not, uh, there are different opinions about how post pandemic we are now. Um, the, the vaccine penetration and, and how many people are immune at this point, but things are opening up again. Uh, there are meetups that are happening in person again. There are conferences that are happening in person again. And whether we like it or not, I love online stuff. I'm a huge advocate, as you know. I'm a huge remote work advocate. There is still something different about meeting people in person. There is still something different about going to a conference, having lunch with people, having drinks with people, sitting at the after conference mixer. I built some incredibly deep relationships that have lasted to this day with some pretty great people through conferences and things like that. So think about where these people are that are on your target list and where are they speaking? Where are they teaching workshops? Where are they going to meetups? And they do, people do. Um, it's kind of incredible to look at some of the people that you would not think would do these things, but they like the social aspect of it. So go 
meet people, bond over drinks and food. It is a human experience. I always did this with my teams. I had a team when I was at Yahoo that was spread all over the world. It was over 100 people. And everything changed when I would travel, spend time in their office, and we would go out for lunch, and we'd go out to dinner, and we'd have drinks. The relationship completely transformed. It just did. It's whether we like it or not, we're human beings, and this is how we bond, and this is how we get to know each other. Even better than attending a conference or a workshop is to be the person giving the talk. So I've talked about this before. I know it's scary for a lot of people. Some of you do give talks. Some of you have taught workshops. You can send proposals. They're always looking for people to give talks. There are so many conferences that go on every month, an incredible number of conferences from small to large. There are meetups. They want people to speak. I spoke at a local business mixer and taught local business owners about marketing online. <laughs> you know, It was fun. Crazy effective for networking changes everything so if you're a little bit shy a little bit introverted and i am I'm, I'm an introvert i don't naturally do this it's not natural for me to go to a cocktail party and talk to everybody i'm not a social butterfly and when i go to the conference things i find it hard to i find it hard to break into a group in a circle where there's an extrovert talking and getting all the attention and telling jokes it's not easy for me so instead what i try to do to make it better better for my time investment is to speak. And so speaking at an event, being the person on stage that 200 people are looking at is a way more powerful networking activity than trying to work the room later, especially if you're not good at it. And so like when I spoke at a conference in Australia pre-COVID, it was incredible. Like I spoke, I did the, you know, I did the talk and it was like for an hour and then we had lunch afterwards and I was swarmed. Like people came up and talked to me. So I didn't, my introverted self didn't have to worry about going to try start conversations. They came up to me and people were handing me their business cards and people wanted to follow up and people you know, followed me on Twitter because I could put on my slide, you want to follow me and talk more about this stuff. Here's my Twitter. Now 200 people in the room can follow me on Twitter instead of doing it one-to-one -one and, and trying to work the room later. So my results were always 10x better when I was the one giving the talk, when I was the one teaching the workshop, whatever it might be. And you can look for this stuff online. Um, the smaller stuff is through meetup.com, Eventbrite, but there's conference sites too. And it depends on your profession where this stuff is listed. So that's all about maintaining those relationships. Oh, and, and then touching base. You know, I, I talk about the fact you got to refresh these relationships. You know, you, you can't let them go stale. Uh, it does take a, it does take some investment to keep people in your network and to keep talking to people. Okay, that wraps up the first half of the fireside chat. And I know this is getting kind of to the point where um, you're expecting the podcast to wrap up. So I'm going to go ahead and save the last half of our conversation, the remaining questions and answers and things that we discussed for an upcoming episode. Um, so stay tuned for that. But thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you the best of luck in becoming an opportunity magnet for the best things in life.